Hi there, thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw. We're lifelong fans of the series. We grew up with the cartoon and never fell out of love with it. Have been talking about it on the phone once a week for 25 years. And here we are 4 million years later to watch it again in order and talk about what we saw from the perspective of how we engaged with it as children and how we feel about it today as adults. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is named... Hoover! Still just Hoover. Here we are. Just Hoover. If you're just tuning into the show for the first time, Hoover had been for a long time changing his name to match the title of each episode of the show that we talk about, but... That is currently on hiatus. <laughs> it's just not very easy to do for every episode name. <laughs> no, it's not the easiest thing. But hey, you know what? You can always email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com if you have any suggestions as to how you would adapt his name to this week's episode, which is... Otto Berserk. Hmm. And this one is by Antoni Zalewski. And that is not a name that we have seen yet. He only did this episode of Transformers and one other episode that comes along down in season three. Mm. And he also wrote for He-Man, the original and new adventure series. He wrote for Superpowers, GoBots, Defenders of the Earth, Centurions, Sky Commanders, Deke G.I. Joe, and even more cartoons from that period. So he was thoroughly ensconced in the cartoon writing community. Wow, so I have watched lots of stories written by this person because all of those shows mm-hmm. you mentioned, I've watched lots of episodes of uh, Sky Commanders. Man, maybe after we're done with all however many episodes of Gen 1 Transformers, we can do a quick 12-part Sky Commander series. <laughs> I still have affection for that show. I know it's not the greatest show. but It's uh, not bad. I, I'm, it's not bad, it's, i got to say. It's not bad. It has some merit to it. And the way they creatively solve the problem of how do we make this toy interesting from a story perspective is pretty cool. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Sky Commanders. We're here to t- talk about Transformers. So who? Wh- what episode is this on Tubi, by the way, if people want to follow along? If you're looking for this one on Tubi, it's in Season 2, it's Episode 17. <laughs> and after watching this one, I noticed that the next episode was City of Steel, which was pretty funny, mm. given that... This one, I think both of us are going to have a lot of nice things to say about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This one does a lot of things right that a lot of Transformers episodes don't quite get right. Yeah, I mean, and without belaboring the point, it's like, just to quickly describe, something we've been discovering as we've been going through episode by episode is there seems to be something that both of us connect with, with this series especially, is that it's about two warring families, really. It's like you have the family of Decepticons that have a family dynamic of sorts, and it's a dysfunctional one, and Megatron's worldview is it's not a stable one. It doesn't connect with the world in a sustainable way, right? Mm. Whereas the Autobots have a family dynamic too, and their family dynamic is fluid. They have the capacity for growth and change, and maybe they're not always right, but they're always on the path towards doing better. And so that's why we as children were encouraged to follow along with the Autobots, even Mm. though not all of us did. Some of us are Decepticon kids. Are you looking at me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at that that person sitting across the table from me dressed in purple and black, and it says Uh. Skywarp forever on his shirt. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it has a picture of Skywarp carrying Rumble lovingly. <laughs> Where did you get that Tumblr? Okay, so <laughs> so anyway, we got to do the IMDb log line for this episode because people are wondering what's Auto Berserk all about if you haven't watched the episode ahead of time. So IMDb had this to say: While the Autobots try to protect them. <laughs> There's an autocorrect in there. <laughs> no, no, right? no. That's not autocorrect. That's IMDB listeners not having good ears. <laughs> All right, I'll read it. <laughs> I can't. Because this, like, this is like my grandma wrote it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. While the Autobots try to protect the Megafader... <laughs> <laughs> you knew this was going to do this to me, right? Yeah, I have uh, a pretty good idea. <laughs> Red Alert becomes damaged and starts believing the Autobots are plotting against him. Starscream plans to use this to his own advantage. Aha! <laughs> so, one of our new characters is being spotlighted in this one, and an mm-hmm. old favorite is coming back to take the spotlight, and he hasn't in recent episodes. Starscream hasn't had a lot to do. So, except to be very wary about things on Dinobot Island. <laughs> oh, lightning, it's a bad omen. That was so weird. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> send this off. I want to find out all about this mega fader. Everybody, <laughs> hang on to that. Hang on to that because, like, the re- you'll understand why I laughed so hard when we finally find out what this thing is called <laughs> the mega fader. Okay. Well, as we begin, we hear Prime's voice counting down as we see an unfamiliar location. It seems like a, maybe a military base of some kind. Then as Prime continues counting down, we see he's sitting at some kind of control panel where he's just activated the gun of some weird tank-looking thing, which shoots and atomizes some kind of tower. And then we see Ironhide and Wheeljack are here as well, as Ironhide declares, Negavator works! Okay, I guess that's the weird tank thing. And I guess it's called a negavator and not a mega fader. <laughs> I mean, negavator isn't a great name, but it's better than mega fader. <laughs> the mega fader, it makes things fade away. I guess so. <laughs> Wheeljack adds that it works very well if he doesn't say so himself, so seemingly this negavator is a new Wheeljack invention. We see two military men in army green watching the demonstration. Prime asks them if they're satisfied, and they are. And we see they're in this very Autobot-looking control room as they're talking about this, which is not Autobot headquarters, right? Mm-mm. It looks kind of like NASA mission control, but it's all in gold. And we see Optimus sitting next to Smokescreen, and as they're talking to the military guys on the screen, it starts with a, like a, a pulled back shot of the military guys standing in front of their helicopter, and there's the Dragonfly helicopter again. You dare not <laughs> deny it. Yeah, this time it's it's definitely Dragonfly inspired. It's green this time instead of the silver that it was a few episodes ago. Yeah. So the military dudes say they'll report the test results at once, and they prepare to leave in their helicopter, which looks suspiciously similar to a G.I. Joe dragonfly. But one of the soldiers points to the ground below and says, You forgot your tape recorder. And we see said tape recorder, and you bet, it's Soundwave. 
And back amongst the Autobots, Grapple is congratulating Wheeljack on a successful demonstration as we see Red Alert, Hoist, and Smokescreen are also present. And everyone is congratulatory, but Red Alert says, I don't know. We've had super weapons before, and Megatron's still around. Decepticons, prepare for attack! Now apparently Red Alert can sense Decepticons as his sort of ears light up and make a staticky <laughs> sound. Now before we get further, this is a perfect example for me to talk about what feels weird about Season 2. Sure, we have Wheeljack and Ironhide here, as if to say, don't worry, we haven't forgotten all the Season 1 guys. But for the most part, now that what I like to call Season 1.5 is over, the majority of the characters used are going to be new toys. Now, of course, this makes total sense, as they need to showcase these new toys, so we want to buy them, that's the whole point of the show. But it just feels so awkward. Imagine you go to work one day, and 75% <laughs> of the employees are now new faces. And that's really <laughs> awkward. And it's even more awkward when no one explains how they got hired. They always throw in a few Season 1 guys so we don't panic and shout, Stranger Danger! Stranger Danger! But overall, I can't help but feel like Dukes of Hazard viewers did when they turned on the first episode of Season 5 and suddenly Bo and Luke were replaced by Coy and Vance. Yeah. It's not who I've tuned in to see. That's just a little bit more than It's just awkward and will remain that way until we get completely familiarized with these noobs. So I know I harp on this a lot, but as someone who watches TV shows primarily for the characters, it's rather jarring. But hey... 30-minute toy commercial, I get it. So, at this point, can you insert the Dr. Katz bit where the guy's talking about the weatherman? You ever notice uh, on the news, sometimes, uh, you know, the anchor person gets replaced by another one. Right. And they announce it like they think it matters. It's like, hi, I'm Chris Phillips with the news. Adam Roth has the night off. <sighs> Who cares? Just read the news. This is This is television. We can see you're not that guy. You know, we're not worried. Like, you know, where's the other guy? Is he under the desk? Is he, who are you? You're a freak. I can't listen. I, I want my old guy back. I want my old guy back. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, real quick, just on that tack. I mean, I, I wonder, I would love to hear from like kids of like military families where they move around a lot you know like oh like navy kids you know like did this feel true to you because you're always going to different schools or were mm. you like hoover too and you were like why is there all these different people here all of a sudden i don't know about this <laughs> <laughs> but back to the story well, one of the army guys begins to get out of the helicopter but suddenly that tape recorder transforms into a 20-foot robot the officer hops back in the helicopter, insisting the pilot get them out of here immediately. Yeah, can we talk about this for a second? Because like, when I was re-watching this, now I have a lot of very clear memories of specific scenes from this episode, but this scene I did not remember. And so when it was first playing, like, don't forget your tape recorder, and then it zooms down and sound wave, I thought, like, oh, are they going to do like a horror thing in this? Where it's like, we're not going to see these guys again? And then it's just going to be like a smoking helicopter, and then there's Decepticons, <laughs> you know? And then they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're actually going to show Soundwave transform and attack the guys. I'm like, oh, okay. But like, there was a momentary thrill of like, maybe they're going to do a thing where like, like something bad happens off camera. Nope, not so. Soundwave <laughs> shows up and like, just like kind of sort of stomps towards them. Boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom. And they're like, oh, get out of here. <laughs> a prime tells Red Alert to guard the bunker while everyone else transforms. 
A red alert stops Inferno from leaving, saying he needs backup. Inferno is bummed to be kept from the fight. Prime leads the others outside the base, where Soundwave ejects four of his five tapes. Eject. Rumble. Frenzy. Ravage. Bazaar. Destroy Autobots. With pleasure! We'll turn that bunker into a burial mound! Yeah, that is a great line by Rumble. It's pretty sweet. This is exciting, what's happening here. And the cassettes just start firing and firing upon the tunnel that the Autobots are driving out of. Now, clearly, Laserbeak's not here because he's still on his Employee of the Month vacation <laughs> on a beach somewhere. Although, in this episode, Buzzsaw is repeatedly colored like he's Laserbeak during the entire thing. Mm. So Prime orders everyone transform as they return fire on Soundwave's cassettes. Now, here's one of the first of several pans that I'm going to point to in this episode that are just so lovely. And it just makes me feel like the storyboard artists were trying to say, like, let's make a widescreen story, but we'll work on a 4-3 aspect ratio. Because, I mean, just look at that shot of, like, Optimus and the other Autobots coming out of the tunnel and firing back on them. It looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's like a cinemascope shot. It's so yep. good. And a well-placed missile from Ravage collapses the roof down on them, trapping the Autobots in the tunnel. Prime radios red alert, and then we see Soundwave is then targeted by the Negavator as it fires upon him, atomizing everything it manages to hit. But Soundwave is too agile and flips around, successfully evading its blasts. We see Red Alert is controlling the device remotely, unable to locate Soundwave now that he's shrunk down to cassette player mode. Inferno says that the others could use a hand, but Red Alert demands he stay here with him. Yeah, this is another great shot. Like this, this episode just kicks off where it's like, as I was watching, I was like, oh God, Hoover loved this part. Because as the Negavator is shooting at Soundwave, he's like literally doing backflips and jumping mm -hmm. between rocks and the rocks are getting incinerated. And then like, as he does his third jump, he jumps there, turns into cassette deck mode and you see him shrink and then fall behind the rock. And then we cut to Red Alert. He's like, I can't, I can't find him. Where is he? You know? And it's just like further cementing this idea that Soundwave is not a person you get a drop on, going back to the Insecticon Syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. he, yep. he, is, he is weird, he is dangerous, and Megatron trusts him. Everything about that, like, I totally get why everybody loves Soundwave so much. But mm -hmm. anyway. And another interesting point is when the Negavator shoots something and it hits something, whatever it hits is literally atomized, like it disappears. Yeah. So this is a very powerful weapon. Yeah. And the other Autobots are trying to find the best way through the rocks blocking their path as Grapple and Hoist transform and begin removing the rocks one by one. <laughs> I was going to say, this is the part where, this is a new segment of the show called Jersey's Grapple Fan Club. Sign up today. <laughs> a character that I had no affection for as a child that I just adore now. They just stop to have him walk up to the camera and say, like, someday I want to build something that doesn't get trash. And then he transforms and starts cleaning up, right? <laughs> he resents the fact that he has to do all of this, you know, repair work, cleanup work. He he spent a lot of time and thought building this base. It's a cool-looking base. And what happens? The bad guys show up and wreck it all up. Man, I feel for you, Grapple. That sucks, man. I wish I could be there. I wish, I really wish I could be there, because, you know, I would give him the strongest hug. I really would. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, I, man, I thought I loved Bumblebee, but man, Grapple, you just need so much support, and I, I wish I could be there to give it to you. Apparently, for you to be an Autobot in Jersey to like you, you just have to be yellow. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> 
Well, then we see the cassettes as a message from Soundwave comes through to capture the Negavator. But just then, we see Prime and the others plow through the pile of rocks blocking their exit. They transform as Optimus gives the order to attack. So now you have the four cassettes squaring off against six Autobots. And these are all like the $15 to $20 Autobots, everybody. These are the big ones. (laughs) (laughs) Red Alert continues controlling the Negavator remotely from inside, but can't get a good shot with the Autobots on the battlefield. Inferno again wants to go out and assist, but Red Alert insists he stay. And we see Soundwave is rejoining the cassettes doing the typical Decepticons on one side, Autobots on the other side, laser style (laughs) battle. Five against six. Look at that pan in this shot. We start on the left with Optimus and the Negavator in the distance, and then we slowly pan right as we see laser fire like flying over Optimus's head and Ironhide and the other guys. And then we see Soundwave and the cassettes behind a rock firing away at them. And look at that dynamic shot of Soundwave. He looks <laughs> so cool. It, it's just another, it just feels like super cinematic. But I want to stop, take a moment. I want to breathe in through my nose. Out through my mouth, because something incredible is about to happen, Hoover. What's going to happen? Because <laughs> I saw this. You texted me this this picture first, and then I was like, oh, that does look cool. And then I watched in the episode. I was like, yeah, Hoover got goosebumps when this happened. <laughs> he had to. I actually did. <laughs> and next, what happens? We see Prime is firing. And who comes in to shoulder check Optimus Prime? But Frenzy. Frenzy, Frenzy didn't go after anyone small. He didn't go after Wheeljack. He didn't go after Smokescreen. He freaking rams into Optimus Prime and he knocks him over. I'm going to say that again. He freaking rams into Optimus Prime and he knocks him over. So Frenzy just leapt up and knocked Optimus Prime over. Now remember... <laughs> And Frenzy's first appearance, he gets into an argument with Skywarp, and he grabs Skywarp's foot and basically, like, drags him into the wall so he hits a <laughs> yeah. computer screen. So he, he may be the, one of the tiniest Decepticons, but he's got some strength to him. Yep. You know? And he's definitely got some chutzpah, right? Because like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, he, he, like, you need, to, you need to watch the scene. I, I've heard from listeners who say, like, oh, I, I don't watch the episode. I just listen to you talk about the episode. Go watch the episode. Watch this mm-hmm. shot where Optimus is shooting away at the, at the camera, and then Frenzy comes in, shoulder checks him, hits Optimus right in the windshield, right? Yeah. And like they do that thing where they slow it down just enough so you feel the impact a little mm-hmm. bit, and Optimus falls down. Rumble yeah. never did this. Laserbeak never did this. Ravage never did this. Frenzy <laughs> did this. <laughs> and no, I did not go back in time and write this episode. <laughs> So at this point, the thought crossed my mind was like, oh, well, Frenzy is definitely Hoover's Bumblebee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we know who the next employee of the month is at Decepticon headquarters. So Rumble is very proud of his little brother saying, and we see Rumble jump into the Negavator, climbing into the cockpit. Grabbing the controls, he aims its cannon at Prime, who's still struggling on the ground, wrestling Frenzy. Let's let's pause on that. Yeah, let's pause on that. Because like uh-huh. Frenzy not only knocks him over, but uh-huh. then Optimus can't get Frenzy off of his face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Frenzy's like six foot tall, yeah. seven foot tall maybe, like on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day. 
<sighs> and so then Frenzy sees that the cannon is aimed squarely his way, and he shouts, Wait! Not yet! Right before he leaps out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like this. Like, it's clear that these two brothers love each other. And like they like working together, but I like that Frenzy doesn't trust that Rumble's not going to take the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rumble goes to fire now that Frenzy's out of the way, but the Negavator won't fire. Turns out it's been doused with something by Inferno, probably fire retardant foam. Mm. So against Red Alert's wishes, Inferno has joined the fight. Now let's hit pause for a second. Had Inferno not come out to join the fight here, there is a real possibility that Rumble, smallest of the Decepticons, would have managed to atomize Optimus Prime. Mm -hmm. Now, sure, Rumble's specialty has never been marksmanship, so sure, it's very likely he would have missed and Prime would have jumped out of the way just in time. Yes, this is all very likely. But man, Rumble just came closer to killing Optimus Prime than any Decepticon besides Megatron has ever come. And you can bet if that happened, Frenzy's name would be crossed out on the Employee of the Month certificate, <laughs> and then Rumbles would be written in. Yeah, like they get home and Frenzy's like, I totally shoulder-checked Prime, and I like I kept him busy for like a full 30 seconds. And Megatron's like, yeah, 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 who killed him? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but let's leave our little fanfic behind and rejoin the episode as Prime dives for his gun. Once he has it back, he, Wheeljack, and Ironhide begin concentrating their fire at Soundwave while Frenzy and Rumble land at his feet. They were so close to victory, but now the tide has begun to turn, so Soundwave calls for a retreat. Not without leaving him a little go in the way, present! And then we see a little missile shoot out of Rumble's back cannon entering the tunnel of the base. So as the missile's going down the tunnel, there's a really lovely bit of animation here where they do the whole thing where, like, instead of it being a static shot in the background with the missile flying through, the entire background is animated. So we're actually, like, moving... We're, our point of view is right behind the missile as it's going through all the tunnels to get where it's going. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of really well-animated, unnecessarily really well-animated shots in this one that I think contribute to it feeling so darn exciting. And this shot is very exciting. And this missile manages to hit Red Alert dead on, knocking him out of his chair and under some debris. He repeatedly calls for Inferno to assist, but Inferno cannot hear him. Thankfully, Hoist followed the missile in to survey the damage, and he hears Red Alert's cries for help. I like that just before he hears that, he's like muttering to himself like, Grapple's gonna blow a fuse when he sees all this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like that, that line just meant nothing to me as a child, but now it carried so much weight. <laughs> as somebody who has got it into shouting matches with other cartoonists about like what's the right way to design a sound for a certain thing in a, in a comic book, you know, like having experienced that, like now when he says like grapple's going to blow a fuse, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> But also when the missile strikes, there's a really cool bit of animation here where Red Alert actually flies at the camera and they do the thing where they make him all black and white and use a lot of scribbles on him for like shading, but to show like the kind of frenetic movement. And it's again, it's that thing that we've kind of been celebrating about the show where it's like it's not super high frame rate. 
But what they do is like by you, they they work with the composition and with the art to make it look more exciting than the actual animation is. And so when he gets hit, it's actually a pretty upsetting shot of him flying at the camera with that black and white art. And then yeah, he's laying there under a giant piece of metal, and his like his little weird electric ears things, like the sort of horns on his head, are static, making static noises and glowing bright blue. And he's like just calling out Inferno's name, and you can see like a little bit of red glow around his eyes at this point too. Yeah. So Hoist lifts up the large piece of wreckage off of the Red Alert, who is just seething that Inferno abandoned him. Hoist tries to explain that it wasn't Inferno's fault when suddenly Inferno and Prime rush in. And Inferno is, of course, concerned for Red Alert. Red, you're okay. I was worried about you. If you'd stayed where you were supposed to, you could have spared yourself the concern. Huh? Oh, you know Red. He's like that. And here we get a small but kind of interesting nugget of info. Red Alert is called Red for short. His name is two separate words, like just like Optimus Prime, who is often, of course, just called Optimus or Prime. It's a very minor thing, but no other Autobot so far has two words in his name. It's only the ones with two words in their name who get nicknamed. Like, we don't call Bumblebee B. We don't call Wheeljack mm-hmm. Wheel or Jack. Mm-hmm. At least not until yeah. Transformers Prime. Right, right. Yeah, later on that it gets used more often. But yeah, I, I noticed this too as a kid too. I remember this line, oh, you know Red, he's like that. That stood out to me. And also, can I just say, like, I love, it, and I've always loved this ever since I was a kid, this friendship between the two fire characters, a fire mm-hmm. engine and a fire chief car, and they got the same color scheme, and they clearly have some kind of relationship that is, uh, it, they have a more a deeper connection than the other characters around them, to mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah. I've always thought, I mean, I, we've celebrated this a lot in the show, it's like anytime that you can like do little pairings of characters so we can see the differences between them. And here you've got cheerful, outgoing, bombastic fighter, Inferno, and you've mm-hmm. got nervous, worrying introvert red alert right Mm -hmm. which is another cool pairing whenever you put those two things together it's always good and this (laughs) is it's not i don't i don't want to say that it gets like expanded on a lot at all and this might even be the only episode where we really get that friendship dynamic in play but it's really great when we get it Mm. so i think that's also part of what makes this episode so darn good yeah i agree but now we see red alert is having a private discussion with optimus I'll put it to you straight, Optimus. Inferno betrayed me. He acted bravely to save the Negavator, Red. Nothing more. Why can't anyone see it? Inferno wants my job! And with this outburst, Red's quote-unquote ears start to glow and sizzle. So Red Alert's obviously been damaged by this blast. He is freaking out more than he usually does. Obviously, he has a nervous personality normally, but Mm -hmm. clearly this has taken it up to 11. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think anybody... I I would love to interview the writer about this, but this episode is all about anxiety, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. all about, like, like the internal dialogues that can start, like, bouncing around your brain, like screaming bats, you know? And... And how it can spiral out of it can it spiral into like really really bad behavior and like self destructive beha- behavior sometimes if it goes like undiagnosed or untreated right. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I I would not have had the language for that. But as a kid who was sensitive and spent a lot of time in his own head, 
I remember this, I connected with this episode a lot as a child, right? I don't know if I have anxiety or not as an adult, but I can certainly identify with the way like internal dialogue can like lead you astray. And here we have it. So what does Prime say when Red Alert is, you know, expressing his anxiety? Well, Prime, of course, is always, you know, the loving dad type. He tells Mm -hmm. Red that he should have Hoist check him out and then get some rest. Now, when he does this, they do something really interesting in this episode that when I was a kid, I was like, did they did that just happen? Mm-hmm. And it was it was definitely a rewind the VHS tape moment for me. And and like I, I could never tell. OK, some perspective uh, context on this. The thing about like over the air television back then was is that the picture could change on you <laughs> a lot at any time, you know, like something could interfere with the signal and it could get a little fuzzy or get a little dark, get a little light. Uh, anybody's heard, heard the control voice in the outer limits. We control the horizontal. We control the vertical. Those were knobs you could play with on a TV <laughs> back then. And when Optimus leans in, he's like, you know, hey, you know, let's have Hoist check you out. And then I think you need to get some rest. We see it from red alerts point of view and the screen gets red like everything gets cast in a red light in just in that moment as optimus says that and this happens a couple times and again it was something as a child i was like was it something to do with the the broadcast or did they do that in the animation it's very subtle you have to really watch Mm -hmm. for it yeah but i love that they did this i love that and they there's pay if you're watching the episode pay attention to the voice acting because i think they i I really do suspect they chose words and performance so that you could hear it the way Red Alert heard it because it feels Mm. oddly... If you ever had that dream as a child where you're trying to warn your parents about something bad happening and they kind of look at you like, it's fine, and there's something menacing the way they say it's fine or something like that, right? Where they're speaking to normalcy, but you know it's not normal. And I feel like those moments really help drive home how it feels for Red Alert. I think that's also another reason this episode is so darn good. Mm. But Red Alert doesn't want to get checked out. He insists he's fine. And Prime reluctantly believes him, but tells him to get ready to head home, as it's too dangerous to remain here. Too dangerous, huh? Now Optimus wants me out of the way, too. It's a plot. Ah! It's a plot. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great line. I do remember this from my childhood. And with that, Red's ears start glowing and making that staticky sizzle sound as he falls to his knees in pain. But there's no one here to see the malfunction. Uh-huh. Now back outside, everyone is together as Prime gives the order to transform. Hoist hops into the negator cockpit as everyone prepares to head back to base. Before Red transforms, we see a sort of red-colored, almost like rash under his eyes. And he doesn't look well. But he transforms and he heads out with the others. This is another moment to watch for in the animation when Optimus says, like, all right, everybody transform. And they all transform. And he's like, you too, Red. And again, I, Peter Cullen d- delivers it with just like an edge of harshness. It's, it's not loud. It's not, it's not drawing attention to itself. But he's like, you too, Red. Mm-hmm. And then he transforms. And there's like this red ghostly trail as he's transforming. And... Again, it looks like it could be like a mistake in the in the animation or like in the broadcast, but it's there and it totally gives it like this kind of nightmarish quality of like what you're you're experiencing, what Red Alert is experiencing. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Well now we cut away to Ravage watching the Autobots drive at the bottom of a canyon, taking the negavator home with them. 
I like that you made the observation early on that like Laserbeak's not here because like that was something that stood out to me when I was watching this. I'm like, why is Ravage doing Laserbeak's job? But, <laughs> but clearly, yes, Laserbeak is on an island drinking out of a coconut right now. So <laughs> he's sipping his eighth mai tai of the day. <laughs> Some human comes up and starts bugging him too much, and he turns his head just slightly and fires his <laughs> eye lasers at them. All right, all right. <laughs> I won't see if you need another towel. <laughs> and so then we cut to this same shot of what Ravage is seeing on a monitor at Decepticon HQ. And we see that Megatron isn't writing anybody's name on an employee of the month certificate. You incompetent fools! I must have the night of And in walks Starscream with Thundercracker and Dirge. It seems that you can knock Optimus over, you can almost atomize him, but none of it counts if the mission objective isn't met. So no Employee of the Month award for Frenzy or Rumble this month. But Starscream will make an attempt at it. This goes back to what we were saying at the top of the episode about like this idea that like Megatron is a results-driven leader, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's something to that, but it's not the whole picture. And that's where I was talking about like the Decept- Megatron's worldview is n- a non-sustainable worldview. If you were always looking for success every time, right, you're gonna be disappointed. And now here he is calling Soundwave. An incompetent mm-hmm. fool, right? Yep. Bad dad, Megatron. <laughs> anyway, and then, yeah, then Starscream's like, oh, somebody besides me is getting yelled at. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, now we cut back to the Autobots driving with many of the Decepticons now watching them from the top of the canyon. So a little bit of time has passed. Mm-hmm. Rumble steps too close to the edge and sends some rocks falling down to the ground in the Autobots' path. And Megatron yells at Rumble, calling him a clumsy oaf. Man, this hurts me. Rumble was having a fantastic day. He almost atomized Optimus Prime. And Megatron just doesn't care. And is even riding him for nearly blowing their cover. Ouch. It's a little too close to home. (laughs) Did you ever do something you thought would really impress Dad? And instead of the incredible praise you thought you were going to get, you instead get yelled at and told it wasn't good enough. Ouch. Poor Rumble. Yeah, really, right? I mean, like, seriously, poor Rumble. He he was doing a really good job, but you just can't... The, the problem with Megatron is you can never, ever please him. You can't do enough for that guy. Yuck. <laughs> so these rocks tumble down into the Autobots' path as Prime and Red screech to a halt. Prime has Red analyze the noise, and I wondered if the noise meant the falling rocks or Megatron yelling at Rumble. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever it was, we then see Red's sensors glow and make that static sound again as he says he didn't hear a noise, and that's all clear. So they resume driving. And then at the top of the canyon, Megatron sees... Crush them... As Rumble uses his power driver arms to start an avalanche on top of the Autobots. Prime gives the order to transform, but huge bits of rock come raining down on them as we head to our first commercial break. Mm. So, Soundwave and his tapes did such amazing things this episode, but didn't get any credit whatsoever. 
So maybe Megatron has found a new blue robot tape player to be his favorite. And maybe it's Casey. Introducing Casey, the tape player with personality. He rings, he rings, he talks to you. Hi, my name is Casey. Casey, it's amazing the things you can do. Oh, that face, that face that looks at you as you listen to music. Oh my god. So real. <laughs> That one is just screaming to get turned into a 90s horror movie. <laughs> like 1976 Evil. And then, yes, the, the talking tape deck that comes after you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, you know, the sheer number of time boulders rain down on the Autobots in this series is unreal. But one boulder that will never cause a problem for the Autobots is the Boulder Hill Mask Playset. Yeah! Mask Boulder Hill Playset with action figures. So you put it together. Prepare for battle. This is no innocent gas station. Activate freeze rate. Where illusion is the ultimate weapon. Hey, let's go get gas. Oh, God, it's not a gas station. It's a base. Ah. With freeze rays. It's not gas. It's freeze rays. <laughs> well, speaking of things that transform and also speaking of rocks, how about oh. this commercial for He-Man's allies, Stone Dar and Rock-On from Master of the Universe? Rocks you transform to surprise. <laughs> I love that line. Comets from the sky bring allies in disguise. They've landed. Bring on the evil horde. Why do these rocks transform to surprise? Ah, see, we're robots in disguise. Well, we're rocks that surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh, you should actually. Now I'm a fan. Now I'm on board. Like the rocks that come from outer space to visit He Man and surprise him on his birthday. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nothing kids like to play more with than rocks. <laughs> We've been here before. We know about your rock animosity, Hoover. <laughs> well, that was against the Rock Lords. This is against Stone Door and Rock On. Yeah, that's right. Things that turned into rocks were actually made twice by toy companies, not just for Rock Lords, but also they found their way into the Masters of the Universe line, too. Yeah, so the Rock turns into a robot. Yes, well, well let's go for it. Let's, let's fund this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get away from those commercials to try to sell us these inferior toys. So as we return, we see that Prime and Ironhide got buried in the rubble since they were at the head of the pack while everyone behind them was able to avert it. Megatron gives the order to attack, and in come all six Seekers, which takes some getting used to saying. <laughs> they fire on the Autobots in the canyon below, but the Autobots don't have room to evade. Hoist hops out of the Negavator as he and Grapple head up to rescue Prime and Ironhide. And this, of course, leaves the Negavator unguarded, so Megatron seizes the opportunity and flies down to use it on the Autobots. Now, this is another moment that I, as I was watching, I was like, oh, Hoover loved this part. Because they spent like a full, I want to say like almost four seconds, just showing Megatron smiling as he's flying down to the Negavator. <laughs> like the close rain on his face is like, ah, I'm getting what I want. <laughs> <laughs> but then we see Smokescreen speed past, and he says... He can't steal what he can't see. And as Smokescreen drives, he admits a thick gray cloud of smoke that camouflages the Negavator from sight. But this doesn't deter Megatron, who enters the smoke cloud and, unable to see, smacks chest first right into the Negavator. 
and the smoke sticks to the seekers who just flew through it, causing them to be unable to see where they're going. You see, he's called Smokescreen for a reason. Mm. Starscream orders them all to fly by radar instead, but a few laser blasts from Smokescreen later takes out some of the seekers' circuitry, causing them to malfunction, and even their speech is affected. Hey, my circuit's electric blue just out to mine. I'm blind flying. Away move before collide we. Yeah, this is a scene that like really made an impression on me. I remember the scene so clearly from my childhood because I remember thinking like they didn't say what Smokescreen's blast did. They just mm-hmm. showed what it did in the fact that they're all talking weird. Away move before collide we. You know, <laughs> suddenly like his beam makes them talk like Yoda. But it's the Yoda beam. <laughs> but I just, as a kid, I remember feeling like the writing felt smarter in this one. And, and mm. I wouldn't have had the words for it as a child, but I remember thinking that like, this is a, this is a cool show for older, sophisticated kids because <laughs> it's not explaining everything to me. Like in He-Man, when you watch He-Man and, Believe me, I love He-Man with all my heart. Whoever you know this, anybody who follows my Instagram feed knows that I love that. I'm not making fun of He-Man, but like the dialogue is paced out for like a five-year-old, right? And it's like the characters say, "What's going to happen now?" And then they tell you what's going to happen now, right? <laughs> in this, it's like they just like it's very fast-paced action, and they there's a lot of information compressed in that little quote that you just played, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that they're all damaged in some way, in some kind of profound way, without having to go any further into it. All we know is that they're all failing, right? Hmm. And then we see Thrust and Skywarp collide with each other and they crash, while Starscream narrowly avoids flying into a mountain, getting stuck mid-transformation on a little outcropping. But Ramjet says if he's going to crash, he's going to take out an Autobot with him. And Megatron, inside the Negavator, is about to blast the Autobots, but Ramjet manages to crash into the Negavator's cockpit, knocking Megatron out and to the ground. Ramjet manages to transform and land as Megatron looks at him and declares, I've got morons on my team! (laughs) (sighs) So Ramjet not impressing the boss much in his first month on the job. Yeah. Prime, Ironhide, Grapple, and Hoist all run at Megatron, guns ablazing, which causes Megatron to yell retreat, and everyone follows. Except somebody who's still shaking off the effects of Smokescreen's smoke. So as they leave, Ramjet asks, What about Starscreen? Leave him! We have more important things to worry about! And then back in the canyon, Prime asks Red why he didn't warn everyone about the Decepticons. You want to get rid of me, just like the others do. Mm, you're more damaged than I thought. There's nothing wrong with me. Red Alert needs a complete overhaul. Your logic and reason circuits are fried. You need immediate repairs. Don't give me any of that. You just want to disassemble me for spare parts? Never. I won't let you. I advise everybody to go back and listen to that again. Listen to the way Optimus said Red Alert needs a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's there's just enough of a little bit like I'm talking slowly and sternly, you know, to just to make to make you feel what Red Alert feels. 
and I know Hoover, I know we beat this drum a hundred times already, only 30 something episodes in, but it's like, they were all doing this on purpose. Everybody, they were doing their level best with this stuff. And I think that the, I can't help, but think that Wally Burr and Peter Cullen worked together to make it, to, to deliver that line in that way to give us like the full experience of this episode, we're really invited to participate in red alerts breakdown on this. And gosh, if we didn't feel this as kids, I know we did right. Hoove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with that red alert just pushes through hoist and inferno and he runs away from everybody. And look at this shot as he runs away from everybody. Like he runs to the jungle and then it slowly pulls back and pans up as we go, like, as we see him disappear into the woods, we see this route, that outcropping where Starscream is recovering from smokescreen smoke. And what a lovely visual way to connect the two characters. Like, they're not mm-hmm. connected yet. They're gonna be. But they're showing us that Red Alert has run away. He abandoned his friends. Starscream has been abandoned by his friends. These two mm-hmm. threads are about to interconnect. So yeah, good. And the way they draw Starscream here is he's clearly watching Red Alert run away. He's like pointed directly at him. So we know that he's seeing all this. Yeah. 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 Because like when their paths connect, it's like they don't really draw any attention to that. Right. So like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information in this pan. Right. That's another thing about Sunbow shows is the clarity and the density of information, like a few words to deliver a lot of information you know, and so like that's why I get like really impatient with people who are like, oh, you know, they were just hacking it. In. No, they were not. This is well designed storytelling here. Yep. So Prime and the other Autobots give chase, and since Starscream has seen the whole exchange, he declares that Megatron will regret abandoning him, and he takes off. So then Red manages to lose the Autobots, who think he's hiding in the adjacent city nearby. They enter the town, and we see a Fire Chief Lamborghini Countach drive right past them at a stoplight with its sirens blazing, and the Autobots all pursue. The vehicle heads towards a burning fire, and a fireman gets out of it. And when the Autobots arrive, Ironhide tells the car that they'll take good care of him and get him fixed up, but there's no response. So Ironhide picks up the car and asks if he can transform, and then an angry Fire Chief runs up to him. That's my car! Put it back where you found it! Oh, sorry, Chief. It looked like a friend of mine. No two ways about it. I gotta take that vacation. (laughs) And so this is when young Hoover crossed his arms and said, No! (laughs) Because a fireman wasn't going to drive a Lamborghini. But I already told that story two episodes ago. Go back and check it out. Uh, tell your parents, kids. I love this scene, too, because like when the Autobots arrive at the fire and see Red Alert parked out front, or what looks like Red Alert parked out front, for some reason, Hoist is like, oh, no. And I'm like, why is he saying, oh, no? Like, that that Red Alert like is attending to a fire? So that, that line seems a little bit out of place. But this scene where Ironhide is like gently holding Red Alert in his arms, like, what's the matter? Can't you transform? Yeah, Ironhide oh. just picks up the entire car. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've always loved this. And then, yes, it ends with that corny line with like, the no two ways about it. I need a vacation. That line gets used in a lot of cartoons of this era. <laughs> and I feel like that's like kind of like a, a carryover from like 1960s sitcoms, which some of the writers of these shows are from that era, right? Like, like oh, yeah. Ron Friedman, you know, wrote for a lot of shows from that time period. But 
Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> I love the idea of you sitting for the TV going like, no, there's no Kutash Lamborghinis <laughs> in the fire department. <laughs> and I don't remember what I thought, but like, I bet I would have thought like, well, just it's a rich town. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fancy there. <laughs> Everybody gets their cars and their furniture at the sharper image, you know. <laughs> Whoa, where have you been shopping? Sky Mall. <laughs> That's where the city, the, the, the municipal account is with Skyball. <laughs> <laughs> All our lampposts are amazing. You should see it. <laughs> so the Autobots have been given the slip, and we see the real Red Alert drive down an alley and transform to robot mode when suddenly he hears something from a nearby garage. Red! Red Alert! You can hide in here! And we see Red cautiously enter, and he looks around. And then a hand rests on his shoulder. He spins around and says, It's you! As we close in on his face as we go to commercial. Now, I found this to be a very unusual choice for the act break and just the whole setup of it because we know this is Starscream. <laughs> yeah. No one else sounds like that. And I guess maybe if you're really young or the not-so-with-it kids might not have understood that it was Starscream, but uh seems kind of obvious. Yeah, it makes me wonder, since this was a writer who didn't write a lot of Transformers episodes, if maybe he didn't know that Starscream's voice was so mm. instantly identifiable, you know? like Yeah, that could be. It, it could be something like that. But yeah, because like, as a kid, I, I knew too, right? Like, you hear the red, red alert. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what would you think? Is the surprise that it's not Starscream? Like, is there, like, another person in the series who talks kind of like that? Oh, well, this is that purple <laughs> Decepticon jet that we never knew about, you know? Turns but, out his Cobra Commander in the garage. Oh my gosh! Yeah, if you if you would now, if only I could send you back in time to that moment when I was watching this episode, and you could say that, I'd be like, "Oh my god, it could be!" <laughs> <laughs> and he would have talked just like that. But another thing that as I was watching it now, I was like, "Well, why did Red Alert go in the garage when somebody said you can hide in here?" Because like we're showing that he's paranoid, right? Like. I know we gotta like we gotta get him and Starscream together pretty darn soon because we're already into like the third act of the episode. But that part feels like it's a little bit questionable. And I was wondering if you had a hoove theory as to why he would go in the garage. Well, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that you're not looking for a good place to hide. So, mm. I mean, I could see why he would be curious. I mean, as an Autobot, he probably has heard Starscream talk before, but he's not thinking that oh, hey, that's Starscream's voice. You know, he doesn't know the voice that well. Mm. So he probably just recognizes that, hey, that's not an Autobot voice that I know. So he's oh, just sort okay. of intrigued. Okay, yep, I'll, I'll buy it. That's good. Now I feel better about this episode. <laughs> good. Great. So, okay, so let's go find out about more products that we need to get our parents to go buy for us. <laughs> well, speaking of people who need fixed, here's a commercial for Operation. Oh. You are the doctor collecting all your pay. <laughs> Because that's what's important about being a doctor is collecting pay. It's not about helping people. It's about oh. making the money. <laughs> Operation. You're the doctor. It's so much fun to play. Operation from Milton Bradley. It'll leave you in stitches. You know, they have made licensed Operation games with Marvel characters. Like, oh, you have to operate on the Hulk. Now, oh. where's our Transformers operation where we fix Red Alert? I would buy that. Now, this is also one of those games where it's like, do you have anxiety? Do you? Well, you should play this, where it's going to go <laughs> at, at you every time you fail. 
it, like it, it perfectly chosen for this episode. We're really talking a lot about anxiety. Yeah, let's get that game that screams at you every time you make a mistake. <laughs> oh my gosh. And keeping up with this theme, here's a commercial for Hot Wheels crack-ups that you can damage, but then fix right up. Hot Wheels crack-up cars, bumper thumper, blind cider, front ender, and top bopper, each sold separately. You can smash them in the side, Clyde. Bash them in the back, Jack. I completely forgot about this commercial until just now. <laughs> but yeah, it, it plays with that technology that was popular at the time, where you could like have like flip around things in toys. And the moment I heard that kid's voice again, I was like, oh yeah, I remember just just having such dislike for you, child. <laughs> <laughs> I would not play with that kid because <laughs> he is always <laughs> screaming at me. He yells right at the camera. <laughs> Hit him in the grill, Bill. All right. <laughs> I got it. Got it. Stop saying names. I'm going home. <laughs> You're just mad because your name doesn't rhyme with anything. That's true. <laughs> Make it sort of splurzy, Jersey. <laughs> oh, I never get to get the license plate memorabilia at the in the gift shop. <laughs> and they never say my name in commercials. I feel so alone. Well, talk about fixing things. How about this commercial for Battle Armor He-Man that lets you fix his armor after it's damaged? Tag that! Just a dent. And that! More dents. But look! They're gone! Only He-Man has this power. Oh, yeah? My favorite part is when Beast Man says, They're gone! <laughs> 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 that would be the most shocking thing in the world. The dents went away. No, He-Man's coming for you. As a kid, too, like when I watched the commercial, I remember thinking, like, how does it even work? Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, it happens so fast, you don't see how the, the, the dents mm -hmm. happen. Like, I got to get this toy. Yeah, I can literally remember playing with it going, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm worried about Red Alert, though, Hoover. Yeah, uh, we better get back to his plight. So as we return, Red is shocked that Starscream would call him in here. You're the enemy, he says. But Starscream points out that he could have blasted him in the back if he wanted. We need each other. I'll never join the Decepticons. So, who's asking you to? And we cut back to the Autobots, who are giving up the hunt for now so they can get the Negavator back to the bunker. But Hoist says that red circuits will explode if they don't repair him soon. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Uh, plot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, this is the first I've heard of this. It's like, okay, they, they were worried about their friend, but now it's like, okay, well, we're worried and he's a bomb. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did run into Cobra Commander in the garage and he made this entire red alert a bomb. <laughs> Oh, good, good callback. Well, that's not even a callback. That's a callback to phone conversations we've had. <laughs> well, it's just referring to the episode The Fun House. Of the GF. Fun House, which we've had a lot of fun talking about because, yes, in that episode, Cobra Commander says, I feel obliged to inform you that this entire island is a bomb. <laughs> oh, that is so silly, but it's so good. <laughs> what's, what's this island made out of? Bombs! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I got to catch my breath. So, yeah. But yes, Red, Red Alert apparently will explode if they don't help him soon. So now we've created some extra peril in the story. Yep. We got that ticking clock going. Yeah. So Prime has no other choice now. So they need to recharge. So they need to get home for a while. 
So they roll out back to the Negavator. And meanwhile, Starscream is still selling red on a team-up. I know exactly how you feel. Megatron and the other Decepticons envy my superiority, too. That's why Megatron left you behind? Yes, he's afraid I'd make a better leader. Okay, now, as the scene is playing out, as you're listening to that, we see them both sitting on tires in this, like, <laughs> garage. And it's totally the Trapped in the Room series that we've been talking about <laughs> for, like, 30 episodes. Or Trapped in a Cave. <laughs> Where it's like, they're, they're, like, really connecting with them. They're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But, yeah, my life is a lot like your life. <laughs> it's totally that. Yep, totally is. They beat us to it. <laughs> So Red postulates that maybe the Autobots feel this way about him, just as the Decepticons feel that way about Starscream, which has got to be true. So Starscream opines that if they had the Negavator, they'd show Prime and Megatron both who was superior. And the more Red hears this, the more it feeds his warped thinking. And he's on board with this plan 100%. There's a lot of great shots in the scene, too, where we're looking over Starscream's shoulder at Red Alert. Yep. There's some parts of this episode that have kind of wonky animation, but man, man, oh man, are there great looking still shots. And this is one of them. Well, back at the military base now, we see the Autobots are bringing the Negavator back and securing it so it's safe from the Decepticons. And they lock it away behind a lowered gate. (laughs) So (laughs) the way they do it is Hoist drives it into the bay and it's in like this giant, like 20 story Autobot base. Basically, it looks like an Autobot base, but like silver metal instead of gold. Mm-hmm. And they drive it into this bay. And then Optimus is like, Hoist, hurry up. And Hoist starts running off, of, jumps out of the navigator, starts running. And then Optimus is hitting buttons while Hoist is running. And a gigantic <laughs> gate drops that narrowly misses Hoist. Now, I want to <laughs> know why Optimus didn't wait for him to be clear. <laughs> I guess they're in a hurry to get home and recharge real quick. They got to move out. And Prime's probably worried about Red Alert. So he's not okay. uh, into taking his time. Okay, okay. Thank you. You're making this episode work for me again. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut to outside the base, and we see Red and Starscream are here, and they're up to something. And it seems Red knows a secret entrance that they can use to capture the Negavator. And Red Alert boasts about how, as security director, he knows all the secret entrances. And as he's saying this, there's another really terrific widescreen shot. Like, it just pans across from the tunnel to Red Alert to Starscream smiling at him. And it's it's lovely. Oh my gosh, this this was so well storyboarded. Starscream's impressed, but as we pan back, we see Ravage spying on these two, and he beams the image straight to Megatron's big screen at home. So Starscream is engaged in some private enterprise with an Autobot. Just give the order, Megatron, and I'll weld that traitor to the wall. Uh uh oh. Wally Burr, I'm afraid you messed up on your voice direction here. See here, Thrust should be saying, just give the order, comma, Megatron, comma, and I'll weld that traitor to the wall. But instead, he says, just give the order, Megatron, and I'll weld that traitor to the wall. Just give the order, Megatron, and I'll weld that traitor to the wall. Like, he and Megatron are going to team up when someone else gives the order, so... (laughs) I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> so, I mean, this is one of the only vocal delivery errors I can remember in the entire series. So Wally Burr did a dang fine job on this. Mm. So rest in peace, Mr. Burr, King of Voice Direction. 
Mm-hmm. And then Ramjet Lambast thrust. You so brave now. Too bad your courage does not hold up under fire. And this sounds weird. Ramjet's never spoken like this. You so brave. He's almost talking like a Dinobot. Mm. I don't know if Jack Angel was still feeling out his Ramjet portrayal or what, but I mean, this is Ramjet's like only third or fourth line so far in the entire series. So, yeah, could be, but it just seems odd. Yeah, when I was a kid too, I, that line caught me off guard. I'm like, why is he talking like that? What's this guy's deal? Where he like is he like not as smart as the rest of the Decepticon jets? And we really don't know. I mean, I guess Megatron did call him a moron, so well, maybe. <laughs> But anyway, Megatron silences them both and proceeds to let Red and Starscream do the dirty work so he can swoop in and get the reward. And back at the military base, Wheeljack assures Prime that he and Smokescreen will find Red, and the pair head off to locate him. Mm. But Red is here, leading Starscream through the secret tunnel to the Negavator. And Red warns him that they have to move fast before the tunnel drone shows up, and then Starscream's like, the what?! <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> and as if on cue, a huge tentacled fluorodairy thing pops up behind them. And sadly, they just ran into a dead end with bars trapping them in this portion of the tunnel. Here's another scene where there's like a little bit of unnecessary but really lovely animation where when Starscream says, like, the what? Everybody look at the screen when that moment happens because mm-hmm. he's like doing this like really well animated run at the camera and like there's yeah. a lot of shading on him, like way yeah. more than usual. It looks like all of a sudden like, okay, we're going to give you like four seconds of anime and then we're going to get back to like <laughs> the, what you're used to watching in your afternoon Transformers episode. Yeah, and we're so not used to seeing Starscream run as it is because he just, yeah. you know, flies when he needs to, but this is a small cramped tunnel and he can't fly. Yeah. So it's it's interesting in that respect as well. So Red Alert shoots the lock that's on the bars, but they still can't get through. So we get the following outburst. I don't want to die! No! The alarms! I worry about them later! It's just such a great moment, and I remember it as a kid too, where Starscream's just like... I'll, I'll worry about it later, you know, because, yes, he doesn't want to die. Is it worth going into here that, like, at this time, saying die and death and kill were not common in the cartoons? Like, they would mm-hmm. often use the word destroy and, like, wink at us. Like, you know what it means when we say destroy, but we, we right. don't say kill. So, like, when you heard, like, words like die, it felt like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's it's coupled with this, like, amped up tension of this thing's coming for them. And it's also kind of comical because he's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot a hole in the wall. Also, just before this, Red Alert says, we have to get out of here or we'll be atomized. But as a kid, and and until today, Hoover, until the day that I watched this episode again. (laughs) Today you learned. I thought, I I always thought he said analyzed. And I'm like, why is he so upset about analyzing them? Like, it's going to be like, oh, you're Red Alert. No, you didn't know that. Why do you know that now? You know, but <laughs> but it really, he said atomize. And for so another gift of this podcast series is I finally <laughs> understand a line of dialogue that puzzled me as a child. But anyway, so yeah, Starscream says, I don't want to die. I'll worry about that later. And what does he do? Well, Starscream fires at the bars, creating a big enough hole for both of them to run through. And the giant tunnel drone can't follow because it's too big. So the duo are safe to jump down into the area where the Negavator is being kept. 
but Starscream's blowing away the bars has set off the alarm. And Ironhide and Prime get the warning of intruders on level 9 where the negavator is kept. And Ironhide thinks that that can't possibly be right, but Prime says they can't risk it being a false alarm and rush to investigate. Now Red is trying to open the big door so they can pull out and leave with the negavator, but they've changed the codes. Red notes that the Autobots never trusted him, but he knows another way out. Hopping into the Negavator cockpit, he simply shoots and atomizes the bars that keep the Negavator here. Optimus, Ironhide, Hoist, and Grapple rush up to level 9 to find Starscream here and Red at the Negavator controls. Ironhide tries to tell Red he's safe now, but he doesn't get it. Red declares that Starscream's his partner. Prime tries to reason with him, saying he needs help. But Red's not hearing any of this. He starts driving the Negavator out but Prime says that they're not letting him leave with it. Starscream encourages Red to just shoot them, so Red moves the giant turret towards the Autobots and fires, but he only hits the flooring between them. That's a warning! Stay away! Now, Red, I know you. You won't fire at me, but I will! And of course, this means that Megatron and his bunch have just showed up. Starscream cries out, Megatron! And does the typical <laughs> humna, 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 and tries to explain. You, you, you misunderstand! I, I was just... You were just about to deliver the Negavator to me, correct? Uh, yes, yes, of course. And Red objects, turning the turret at them both, but Starscream knocks Red out of the cockpit. And the two grapple on the ground. Yeah, this bit like happens really fast where like Red Alert is talking to them and then all of a sudden you just see Starscream literally rip through the cockpit and then mm-hmm. grabs Red Alert by the shoulders and then next thing you know they're on the ground. And Red starts short-circuiting more and more and Prime thinks he's about to explode. Now since Red is directly on top of him, Starscream doesn't like this possibility. So he says freeze and shoots a red point blank with the null ray. Yeah. And we then see Red stop short-circuiting, and he starts to rub his head. My logic chips. What? What's happening? What's happening is that you are going to test the Negavator on the Autobots. Oh, I will use it on you, partner. He's not really gonna do it. I'm not sure, but I think Starscream's Null Ray stabilized his circuits for the moment. And Red enters the cockpit. What's he gonna do? Well, he happily tells everyone that he's just set the Negavator to self-destruct. Yeah, it's worth listening to this line, though, his performance, because he sounds like he's kind of crazed. (laughs) And he sounds sounds really happy. (laughs) (laughs) Megatron thinks that he's bluffing, but Starscream asks if they can afford to take that chance. And slowly we see Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust start slowly backing out of the base. (laughs) Yeah, this part is great. (laughs) And Prime uses this opportunity to attack and has the Autobots fire on them. Megatron demands his troops attack back, but now Dirge finally decides to speak. Forget it. The Negavator is going to blow. And the three Seekers get the hell out of there. Pretty bold to completely defy Megatron here. Yeah. Anyway, now that Dirge has finally said something, let me fill you in on him. He's sort of a dark blue with gold wings, and he's voiced by Bud Davis, a newcomer to Transformers. 
and his IMDb consists of only Transformers and This Is America Charlie Brown. Wow. So, not a huge career, I guess, unless he just has a lot of unlisted credits. And we'll learn a little bit more about Dirge later this season, but if I had to sum him up, he's a gloomy Gus. Different from Thundercracker, though. Thundercracker's the kind of guy to complain about something, but Dirge is the type to say, what's the point? We're all gonna die anyway. <laughs> he's a total pessimist, and so I like him very much. <laughs> So we'll we'll look forward to the next installment of your series, Characters Trapped in a Cave, with Long Haul and Dirge. <laughs> <sighs> so back to the story. Since most of Megatron's attack force just up and split, Megatron has no choice but to retreat, so he and Starscream take off. And we soon see Red wasn't kidding. He's really set the Negavator to self-destruct. He hops down from the cockpit and everyone flees but Red is caught in the blast. The rest of the Autobots make it out safe, but Prime realizes that Red didn't. Ironhide is about to go in to rescue him, but Prime insists it's too dangerous and that he'll go instead. However, Inferno's got some karma to balance out here, so he transforms and rushes in, using his fire-retardant foam to spray the tunnel as he makes his way inside, because the whole tunnel's on fire. Hmm. Prime and Ironhide try to follow, but they can't cut through the flames like Inferno can. Inferno makes it inside, calling for Red as we see Red Alert struggling to stand. Inferno finds him and douses Red with foam or water, and Red tells him to save himself because he doesn't deserve to be an mm. Autobot. Mm, oh my gosh, this is so hard, Hoover. This is so <laughs> hard. Because this is how it feels, right? Like like that mm -hmm. sense of shame of, like, you know, like people don't understand why I have all of these intrusive thoughts sometimes. And so they can make you feel different and apart. And then that shame can creep in. And like, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, well, it, it's hard for me to manage this. Maybe I don't deserve to be one of you people. And the fact that he has a friend who does what he does next is so good. It's mm -hmm. so good. And just then on top of all this fire and everything, some pipes from the ceiling collapse and they're about to land on red, but Inferno swiftly changes the robot mode and he catches them before red gets crushed by these pipes. Yeah. Red says thanks, and Inferno says, What are friends for, Red? Oh, oh my god. This is this is this is this is so like catnip for me. <laughs> <laughs> well back outside, Prime and Ironhide are waiting for Red and Inferno to make it out, but another explosion occurs and Prime thinks that this is the end. He says that he should have gone himself. But just then Hoist sees something. It's Inferno driving out with Red lying on top of him. And the other Autobots cheer at them making it out. And Inferno transforms, carrying Red in his arms. Red, you're safe. And feeling better, Optimus. Sorry about... No. It was my insistence on testing the Negavator that started our problems. We're just glad to have you back. Both you and Inferno have shown great bravery today. With friends like these, real friends, it's easy to be brave. And so we end. That's the end of the episode. Oh my god, that final shot. That final shot, Hoover. And I mean, it's, it's done this to me ever since I was a child, and it continues to do it to me. 
and it's it's so cheesy, right? But it's such a great line. It, I mean, it, with friends like with real friends, it's easy to be brave because th- this is this story is about anxiety, but it's also about exploring different relationships, right? He tried out a friendship with Starscream. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like it's not explicitly stated in there. Like he's like he's my partner now, and everything. Like we're on an endeavor together. But I mean, it, it, the show was made for children, right? And so you try out different friendships, you try out different relationships, and some people are good for you, some people aren't good for you. And sometimes you think the people who aren't good for you are good for you, you know. And that just needs to be tested. It needs to be it needs to be explored, and learning what the difference between a real friend and not a real friend is. And then that that last line, it's just so. Ugh, like I said, maybe it's not catnip for me. Maybe it's heroin for me. I think that's what it is. <laughs> that's my drug. My drug of choice is like characters exploring friendships together and learning what real friendship is. Uh. And it ends with Inferno holding Red Alert in his arms. And Red Alert looks mm-hmm. up and smiles at his friend. And then Inferno looks down and smiles at his friend. And yeah, yeah, this is like almost as impactful as last episode where we had to watch grapple throw his model on top of the wreckage mm-hmm. so oh anyway yeah it's just like it's it, everybody it's worth stopping and looking at that shot it's so good <laughs> well this episode has been special to me ever since i saw it again as an adult because i've been in these shoes i've had instances of thinking people were out to get me of seeing plots that just weren't actually there and i didn't need to get concussed for it to happen yeah but as someone who has a little paranoid voice in my head that has spoken too loudly in the past i totally and completely feel this episode i have precisely two masterpiece autobots in my collection i have the us release of mp1 optimus prime from what seems like a million years ago now and i have red alert that's it decepticon wow. sure i have a ton but autobots just them wow Now, seeing these heroes with deep flaws, which seems like it almost had to be some kind of a mandate for season two because everyone's got them. Yeah. You compare them to like the season one characters like what's what's Blue Streak's flaw? Well, (laughs) talks a lot, I guess. I guess there's like one line where they really explore that in the entire first (laughs) season. But yes, yeah. Prowl's flaw. He likes to stick to military (laughs) stuff. Uh Yeah. But all these, all these like season two characters, they all have really obvious flaws to them, to their personality. Yeah. yeah. So this reminds you that being a hero doesn't require you to be perfect or flawless because none of us are. And what better reminder for children could there be than you have flaws, you have mistakes. It does not stop you from being a hero or a good person. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is crucial, right? And this is, I think, what made some of these characters so darn memorable for us as children is, and this goes back to why, you know, Fire in the Sky is my favorite season one episode is because it's about a character growing. It's about a character exploring relationships and learning from them and then sticking to his, like, inner principle and finding where he belongs in the world as a result of sticking to the inner principle, right? Mm-hmm. And here we have a, a, a similar journey for a single character it's unfortunate that we didn't have more episodes like this. I understand why we didn't have more episodes like this because they had a parade of toys to put in front of us day after day to get us to go buy them. But every once in a while, you get this one where you get to watch a character fail and grow, you know? And I mean, also the fact, the the reason I hung on that moment where he said, I don't deserve to be an Autobot is because as a child, it can feel like that sometimes. Like, Like, I don't know what it's like today. I imagine it's not different. But, like, when you're punished for doing wrong in the room, sometimes you don't know 
why you're being punished, right? You don't know why it's wrong yet because you're a kid. You don't have that context. And like when we were kids, it was like, okay, go sit in the corner. Right, that was a thing that they did. Oh, you're going to detention. You have to go sit in this room after school because you did bad. Well, what did I do that was so bad? You, right. you talked in the middle of class. Well, I was excited about something. You know, it's like I, I don't know how to regulate this yet. Right, and so like this sense of shame for being different or for acting out when you're like you don't feel like you have control of yourself all the time. Like you said, like having this this voice in your head saying like, careful. People are, you know, people are mad at you. People are out to get you. People are angry with you or don't like you. You know, that can lead you to behave in ways that you don't fully understand as a child and you can feel ashamed of it. And the fact that they put that in there, he says, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be an Autobot. What are friends for? They're here to help each other and help raise each other up and help remind you that you can fail, but that doesn't define you. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Optimus even says, he's like, he's like, well, you know what? We're all complicit in this. You know, it's like it, it was my insistence on testing the negavator that started this whole problem. You know, it's like and, and I love that Optimus, the caring dad is always there to say, like, hey, forget it. We love mm -hmm. you. We love you as yep. you are for who you are. You know, we're not going to sit around and like gripe at you. What does Megatron do? <laughs> Remember, everybody, let's rewind the tape. Let's go back and look at what happened when Rumble came home with high fiving his brother going like, can you believe what we did today? And Megatron's like, you all suck, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, this one. I don't want to like champion it saying like this is the greatest writing of all time, but as episodes go where it's like, does it check all my boxes? Does it show the, the this dysfunction of the Decepticons? Yes. Does it show the the the, the wholesomeness of being in the Autobot family? You bet. Is it good for children to watch? Yes. Is it exciting? Oh my gosh, did you see that shot with Frenzy? Shoulder checking out to his prime? That's about as exciting as it gets. You know? It's got it all. And and yeah, I mean, like for a long time, I mean, I have Red Alert is one of the Autobot cars I have for that very same reason. Mm. Is it? It's like we we really suffer along with this character in this this story, and we really go on that journey with him. And once again, what a POS Starscream is for <laughs> real. Get that guy, run him out of town. He is not good for anybody. <laughs> so yeah, this episode isn't what I would deem transformer perfection but it is very good and it shows you how to use the decepticons properly yeah they're just not walking guns that shoot at the autobots they have minds and feelings and opinions and they want to do a good job their definition of a good job may be <laughs> atomizing autobots yeah but they still want to do a good job and they still want to impress their boss yeah so i would point other writers to this episode to see it done right Frenzy and Rumble feel very real in this, and we also see how that these three new Seekers will just flat out defy orders if things seem too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Is that maybe because they've been around Megatron less than the others? I don't know, but getting the viewer to think and wonder about these things, that's the writer's job. And mission accomplished here. As far as negatives, I don't like to see Megatron yelling at Soundwave and Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> They did amazing things this episode, and I wish they'd gotten the credit they deserved for it. But, I mean, that's Megatron. That's true to his character. You know, he yeah. is a tyrant, after all. Yeah. And even though he's treated these characters nicely in the past, that doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time. Not from mm -hmm. a tyrant. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's more fun 
when he slaps Starscream down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He yells at Rumble and Because Frenzy. we know Starscream always deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 in my fan, and it was like Megatron was like feeling the urge, like, I haven't slapped Starscream today. Where is he? Where is he? And, you know, Star- Starscream's hiding with the new seekers, you know, like they're all playing cards in the back room. It's like, I hope he doesn't find me. And then Soundwave comes home, and Megatron's like, well, I guess you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Starscream hears it and he comes around the corner and he's like, all right, now I make my entrance. <laughs> <laughs> and for that matter, like, why didn't Megatron go with Soundwave and the tapes to go get the Negavator himself if he wanted it so yeah. bad? I mean, what was so important that kept him at base? Did he have dilithium diarrhea? Oh! Because <laughs> if he'd had diarrhea, it would have to be coupled with a uh, word from the periodic table or thereabouts, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and have to start with the same letter. So he's like, <laughs> oh, Soundwave, you go. You go get the negativator for me. I'm uh, indisposed. <laughs> they have pills for that. And Starscream's like, did I hear that Megatron's indisposed? <laughs> Shut up, yeah. Starscream. You're not leader. <laughs> Like he literally, like his head just comes around the corner, like in, like you know, like laughing or something. <laughs> <Whoop>. <laughs> so, is this my favorite episode of the series? No, but it's definitely one of my favorites of season two. But we still have thirty-four more episodes in season two alone, so we'll see how things shake out as we continue along. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, yeah, both of us kind of came in in the same place on this one, mm-hmm. which is interesting. There's there's, there's a handful of episodes where we feel very different. I feel like at the end of last episode, I felt like I was kind of coming in hot and it was like, okay, okay, we got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I feel like, yeah, we both came in. This is a strong episode. This really is. It was sitting there waiting for me when I was crying and crying about fire in the sky going like why didn't we get more like this i mean this mm. this one stands right next to fire in the sky in my opinion mm. as being like a really really good character exploration and in in a way that frames up something that kids were probably struggling with and making them not feel quite so alone i know it did that for me as a child and i imagine it did for others as well so if it did that for you too we want to hear from you mm-hmm. four million years later at gmail.com and on our facebook page so what do we got next well, next episode we will watch is Microbots. And uh, if you want to find that one on Tubi, it is Season 2, Episode 11. So it's a little bit further back from this one. I strongly recommend that people who are listening along go and watch this one first. Yeah, it's a good one. It's <laughs> not only, I mean, it's a good episode, but it's got some real fun parts to it. I, I, I'll just say this. If you're a fan of Hoover, and I know some of you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm no serious. One is. <laughs> I know. I know some. Of, I know some of the listeners are for whatever reason. This is an episode to watch to go play the game where every time you think Hoover was made deliriously happy, take a drink, and you'll get the <laughs> reference when I say that. Like when you watch the episode, you'll understand that joke. When you, when, anyway, there's a and lot. Of course, you only drink non-alcoholic beverages, people. You drink Purple Saurus Rex every time Hoover has been made. <laughs> deliriously happy by this episode and then watch how fast you're going to have to go to the bathroom because <laughs> there's there's like a handful of moments where i know this one brought you eternal joy it's also a brawn episode and mm-hmm. we, we all love brawn here so yeah this one is a great one so i'm 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 looking forward to it oh my goodness i i feel like i'm tired <laughs> <laughs> 
I really feel like I used a lot of juice in this one because there's just a lot to get excited about. Man, thank you, Hoover, for this discussion. Unfortunately, I mean, we're going to still see Red Alert, of course, but this was definitely his showcase. We're yeah. never going to see him to this degree again. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but you know they've they've got other new guys to show us. <laughs> yeah, they do. And I mean, I guess like I'm going to put a pin in this Red Alert episode and the Fire in the Sky just because I think something that Transformers, part of what made Transformers so good uh, that we haven't really discussed a whole lot is that it provided children with role-playing options, right? Like when you're a kid, who are you going to be? You know, what, mm-hmm. what kind of person are you going to be when you grow up? You've got a lot of different role models to choose from. And I think part of the magic of this show was there were so many characters that it gave you a lot of different bodies to inhabit right this wasn't like watching an episode of chips or knight rider where there's like really only four four main characters and then you're meeting new people every week right this was something Mm -hmm. where it's like there's these people were showing up over and over again and because of the sunbow method of like giving you just a couple lines to understand who they are here's tracks oh i'm very beautiful as a car okay yeah we know who you are now (laughs) you know or power glide for crying out loud we've been giving him some static this this last couple episodes where it's like (laughs) i'm amazing yeah 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 we got but because it does that like it 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 reminds you really quickly brings you up to speed on who they are so that you can role play through them and try out that identity as a young person i think that's an important part of development and growing up so Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about cool robots who turn to cars, and it's about cool laser battles, and it's about cool jets and cool tape decks and things. But it's also really about exploring different kinds of dynamics and friendships and personalities and not feeling quite so alone and special all the time. Maybe there's people out there like you because there's these options to try out like red alert like he's there to say like hey guess what if you're nervous all the time that's okay look at him he's a hero he's nervous maybe you're nervous too but maybe you can overcome that the way red alert did maybe you can maybe not even overcome persevere the way red alert does Mm -hmm. and as we get through some of these later episodes where we're going to meet some more characters and get like a character showcase like the golden lagoon or like the ultimate weapon in season three Man, this was important. This this was this was stuff that really helped me as a child. As a child who didn't have a lot of grown-ups in his life saying like, "Hey, look, here's here's a positive role model for you to follow. Uh, here's here's I'm going to sit down with you and talk about your problems and figure out like how to how to help you feel more adjusted and in tune with the world." At least we had this, right? Yeah. So that that's no small shakes. Mhm. It's kind of like a gummy vitamin. It's like you come for the gummy, but the vitamins are what's helpful for you. And that's why we do this podcast so if you enjoy it <laughs> and if you get some value out of it a really nice thing you could do right now if you want to be a good guy or a good gal or a good person like red alert a good bot let's say a good bot that's good that seems gender neutral you want to be a good bot like red alert go to your wherever you listen to the show and give us a five-star review and if you really want to be a super good bot like inferno and red alert if you want to be if you want to be to us what inferno was to red alert you can write a review <laughs> Write a review and say, like, here's three things I like about the show. And that helps more people find the show. The show becomes more popular. And then we can maybe find some way to, like, monetize this and make it sustainable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cover, cover our time making it. But either way, it's a good time getting together with you, Hoover, and talking about Transformers. So thank you for that. Always a good time. All right. What are friends for? So What are friends for? <laughs> that's the Transformers version of As You Wish. All right. Until next time, everybody, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I have been Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. 
Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>